Hello and welcome to another episode of What, what do, you do You Reckon? Oh, in well, I sync. I thought I'd jump in. Yeah, you are, you're a bit of an interrupter, a bit of a serial interrupter. Am I? I've heard it re- told. Have you heard it told? And I've who heard it told on the streets. That? I've heard it on the streets, mate. On the mean streets. On the mean streets by the Oxford and Cambridge boat race. Oh, those mean streets <laughs> where all the bad boys hang around. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm Mike Advocate. And I'm Al Politico. What have you been up to this week, Al? Um, what have I been up to this week? So, while well, speaking of, of boats and races, I did go to the boat race on Saturday. Mm. That was fun. Um, yeah, that's probably one of the highlights of my week. A man, a man of much detail. Of in lots of storytelling. Well, you, you know, I can't. You can't go into yeah. too much detail, Mike. Sure. We're on, we're on a time limit. We're on, we're a, on time a schedule. Limit. We're on a schedule. We've got people to inform. We do have people to inform. Why? What have you been up to? Um, well, I've you know I've got a bit of an interview this week, so I haven't really had the chance to sort of swan around at the boat races quite as much. But I was there for a little bit at the end. Again, very descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's very fair criticism. Yeah, it's a fair criticism. Don't throw stones, Mike. It's true. I do live in a glass house. You do live in a glass which house. Which is why we've got such great acoustics. Great acoustics. <laughs> um, so this week, um, what we're going to be talking about is free trade, which is obviously a bit of a hot topic right now for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, as we mentioned last week, uh, a deal has been sort of agreed in principle um, with the European Union, such that we can now start uh, signing trade deals with other countries during this next two years. Well, just shy of two years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's true. Good, good to stay. Good to know what the time is. Yeah, I think it's the end of December. Okay. Next year, 2019, will be officially out. And I guess the big kind of um, worry is from Brexiteers is that this transition is going to end up being the Brexit end state. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that, like we mentioned that a bit last week about the common fisheries policy, and then they're saying, because that's going to run to 2020, and therefore this is a betrayal, that you know the government is claiming that we'll get our waters back eventually, but, but then other people don't really buy it. I mean, interesting to see how it plays out. Mm. I think it's an interesting dynamic, given the fact that our politicians, I don't think many of them really want to leave, yeah. so if they can keep it, quietly as much in as possible i think they probably will but we'll be watching that space we will be so going back to free trade so we've got the opportunity to sign new free free trade deals and of course it's also happening in the backdrop of trade wars you must have seen the headlines donald trump slapping big tariffs on uh, chinese imports um, and china responding by slapping on some of their own tariffs and then both sides you know both sides not at the highest level but sort of lower down mnuchin Chinese representatives saying that they don't want a trade war, they don't want this tit for tat thing that has happened in uh, in the past um, for uh, for the uh, human race. And the general consensus is that free trade is is a good thing and it brings wealth to all countries, and that anything that moves to a more protectionist vein is going to be bad. Um, and that's kind of conventional wisdom, but. It is a bit of a trend at the moment of uh, perhaps more protectionist policies. And is there an argument for those? And that's what we're going to really be discussing today. Um, and so as ever, I'm taking a slightly uh, slightly more, well, slightly less defensible side of the argument. And I'm going to try and put forward an argument for perhaps maybe Britain striking something along the sort of Donald Trump lines of fair trade, not free trade. 
I'm I'm really interested to hear how <laughs> how how we're going to spin this these these British fair trade deals. Um, and so I was probably going to be shutting me down, but let me uh, let me start setting out my stall. So basically, when it comes to free trade to begin with, um, I think we can kind of understand it if we take an example of of two countries. Uh, let's take England and Portugal. Now, in Portugal might produce wine um, particularly easily, and England might produce cloth particularly easily. Now, the conventional wisdom would be that because it would take, say, 120 workers to produce the same amount of wine in England as it would take 50 workers to produce the same amount of wine in Portugal, it doesn't really serve, and and the same for, uh, for cloth, it doesn't really serve the interests of either country be it their consumers, their employees, or their capitalists in the nineteenth century. Well, I'm just, it's just it's just an <laughs> example to build the point. But, for, but for the point the point being, as you can see, that surely it would be better if the people in Britain concentrate on making cloth and the people in Portugal concentrate on making wine, because they both do it better, and therefore exactly. free trade allows wealth to develop. Yes. But there are some criticisms of free trade, and they can be set out in, in different ways. But the first thing to consider, I think, is that the belief in the advantage of specialisation and free trade, the idea of Britain producing cloth and Portugal producing wise, wine, sorry, lies behind the incredulity with which economists have reacted to the rise of populist politicians like Donald Trump in the United States and the Brexit vote. So because free trade is clearly bringing more wealth, why is it that people have reacted in a sense of uh, these these policies of the last 50 years haven't favoured me, I'm not seeing a better economic uh, position for myself? And some put the blame on free trade. So in this world of, of free trading, where every country is specialising, you might think that countries' economies will start to look like uh, they've got one or two industries or three or four industries which they do particularly well, and they then neglect their other industries because it's not really worth their time to put that much um, effort into the, into those industries. So let's take, for example, um, a country that has great oil reserves, and perhaps they have their industries based around uh, oil, obviously just selling the oil as it is, maybe uh, creating plastics, other things derived from that. And they have that industry, they do it really well, and they import from other countries for those other needs. And the country that does that best would then surely be the wealthiest because it's the most specialised. However, what actually happens in reality is that the countries that have the most diverse um, economies, countries like Germany, um, are also the wealthiest per capita. And it's the same for countries like Switzerland. Whereas on the other hand, countries like Papua New Guinea and Nigeria score much lower on the per capita uh, wealth. So the basic idea is that it's very important in your country, if you want to produce lots of wealth for all the people there, to have lots of different industries and to have a diverse base of industries. Now, invariably, if you're a country that, let's say, let's take Britain, for example, let's say we've got a burgeoning car manufacturing base. We now leave the European Union and we have the opportunity to bring in cars from Japan at a much cheaper rate than perhaps we could before. We might bring in those cars and the British consumer gets those cars for cheaper. But perhaps the British car industry doesn't continue to develop. 
and we say, well, that's okay because those workers can go do something else. The people who were working in that industry can go to a more efficient industry and the British people get cheaper cars. But the problem with that is that all, those, all the machines that were used to make cars in Britain are now basically useless because you can't use them anymore. So those capital goods, which are very expensive, suddenly become completely useless to the economy. The workers who have specialised in a certain way can't really turn their skills to a similar industry because there's no, um, there's no equivalent to the car making industry where their skills can really be employed. And those businessmen who really know about you know, producing cars now have to go find a new skill. So that's quite a lot for them to do. It's hard for them to fit into something else. Whereas if Britain maybe took the opportunity in this hypothetical example of Japan to maybe put on a few tariffs, make Japanese cars more expensive, the British car industry would be protected. Yes, ultimately the consumer would be paying more potentially for a less efficient car. But, oh, I'm so sorry. Potentially for a less efficient car. I'll finish now. And what it means basically is that if that car industry is allowed to continue, then other industries that are related to it can start to grow up and a new product could be produced. And this is all because we have our understanding of a different uh, of, of this industry and the related industries. So the more you have that in an economy, such as Switzerland, such as Germany, the more opportunity you have for wealth creation and the more opportunity you have to employ people. Therefore, it's important when constructing trade policies to consider what industries do you want to grow and what industries might be threatened by cheap imports from other countries. Okay, I think I'm most interested with your comparison between Switzerland and Germany and Nigeria and Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. As if you were sort of making a, a direct comparison between sort of mixed economies and I'm guessing, you know, primary good, the primary goods economies of Papua New Guinea and Nigeria. And I think I'm just interested as to why you compare those two countries because it's not really like they're on an even footing to begin with. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just, I, I'm not really sure what the point in that comparison, what that point in that, in, in that comparison was. Of course, Germany has a better economy than Nigeria's. Of course, it's more mixed than Nigeria's because they have more industries than Nigeria because, because it's not a country which is ravaged by civil war and poverty. So I think those comparisons are interesting. Um, and I guess towards the end of your argument, you sort of, spoke about trade policy and it not, um, and what, which industries do we want to grow and which industry do we want to protect. I'm not, is that an argument against free trade? I'm not really hearing much of an argument against free trade. Well, I suppose the argument, obviously you, not wanna, you don't want to end trade completely, but if you just were to introduce a policy where we go, okay, we're leaving the European Union, we now want completely tariff-free um, exports with someone like Japan and Korea, for example. Right. They might produce appliances or cars or, or other materials that are uh, they could do cheaper and they're more efficient because that industry is more mature that effectively wipe out the equivalent British industry because the consumer no longer buys from the British industry. Now, right. the consumer in the short term gets cheaper products. But, but the industry in Britain suffers. Okay, I do understand that. Yeah. Right. Okay. But are we talking about it just in the context of Britain? Because it's quite difficult to speak about it in the context of Britain. Because what industry do we really have to protect? And sort of the main argument for Brexit, in my opinion, if you were an avid supporter of Brexit, was for 
this free trade and carving out these trade deals that are better for the UK. Jacob with Mog saying, you know, free trade makes everything cheaper for people. Mm-hmm. British consumers are going to be buying cheaper goods. Mm-hmm. It's going to be better for everyone. Fundamentally, on the argument of free trade. Mm-hmm. So if we keep it within the British realm, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult to have an argument, I think, because can, can you give me a, a, a different example, perhaps? A di- an example of like an industry that you'd want to keep. Yeah, from, in, in any I think, country. I think, co- I think co- like in another country. Well, I think you, you talk about, um, obviously I referenced Papua New Guinea and Ghana. Nigeria. Li- oh, sorry, my apologies. But effectively, like you say, these countries that they only have a few industries, which they uh, are really trading within in, in a significant way. The question is, what, what really benefits that country? Would it, is it, does it really benefit them to have free trade? Where a, you know a corporation from the United Kingdom or America can come in and sort of you know mine for oil and and then and then sell it and the you know Nigerian government or the Ghanaian government or the Papua New Guinean government governments that don't necessarily that only have a few industries would they be better served by some kind of protectionism to build up something else? Or you could argue that they'd be better served by more free trade because I think one of the things that we have to Remember, again, another argument for Brexit on the more liberal side that a lot of people don't really think about is that the European Union's customs union imposes these huge tariffs on secondary goods from third world countries. Mm -hmm. And the argument is that if those tariffs weren't there for, I don't know, let's say refined cocoa beans as as opposed to raw cocoa beans, Mm -hmm. refined coffee beans or, you know, chocolate or some other coffee product which isn't a coffee bean being sent to Italy or Spain to be refined these countries would be doing a lot better. Well, I think, so that, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think a country having access to a market to sell its product is obviously good. But it's going back to this, but it's, it, it is so in the sense that that allows that industry to build up faster, right? Right. That's kind of what you're saying. But what I'm also saying is that, that that's true, but it's also true in reverse. So if you have an industry that you want to protect or you want to build up in your own country, then you have to be wary of products coming in at a, at a lower rate. To some extent, but I just want to go back to Papua New Guinea and Nigeria. Yeah. If there is no industry, if there is no, let's say, coffee refining industry in Nigeria, mm-hmm. the only way that Nigeria would be able to get a coffee refinery industry is through free trade. Is that not right? In the sense that that's the only way they can, they can generate their wealth. Exactly. But I think I think the the, the question and I think, have I think countries di- and trading blocks that are willing to accept those refined coffee beans without putting tariffs on them. Would it be fair to say that you um, you're of the opinion that allocation um, in the create so sorry, sorry the better allocation of existing multiple use resources to the satisfaction of existing known wants is the primary means of wealth creation. So and that and that's that links to You're free trade. You're going to put that in layman's terms. I mean that the idea that you use your resources um, in the most efficient way, and and then that also extends to other countries. So a, a smaller country like Papua New Guinea or Ghana, its ability to use the resources it does have as efficiently as possible, yeah. and then use the resources of countries it's trading with as efficiently as possible is what causes it to generate wealth. Exactly. Okay, but I've also heard a different idea of wealth creation that. Wealth is created by producing new products. So if you have um, a particular, like a mature industry, um, and then it sort of, so let's say, I mean, this is going to be a bad hypothetical example because I'm trying to think of it. But let's say you've got an industry that produces like ejector seats, for example. 
Um, and then perhaps you find out that actually there's another industry that's related to like the propulsion mechanism that injects ejector seats. And someone at that company making ejector seats splits off and forms their own company. They take those expertise over. The only way they're able to do, and then they create a new product, and then that creates a new industry, and that creates new wealth. It's not just efficient allocation, if you see what I mean. But then I guess the problem with trade wars is that then you want to sell that part of an ejector seat to a country which you've stopped buying ejector seats from. Mm. And then you've created an industry, but you've got no one to sell it to but your own people. And then no wealth is created. Well, I don't think necessarily if you're only selling it to your own people, no wealth is created. It might not be the most efficient uh, way of doing it in a globalised term. But do you not think that you have to sort of... You, you want to try and generate wealth in your own country, but you also want to try and generate industries in your own, own country to try and help as many people in your own country as you can. Of course you do, but is protectionism the way to, to generate an industry in your own country? It's not sustainable. You can't be protectionist forever. Yes, it might work for five years and some people might be happy mm. in various regional parts of whichever countries. Yeah. But ultimately, give me one example of a country which is protectionist today or has been protectionist in the past and maintained that for a long period of time without experiencing economic decline? Well, I think that, I mean, America's obviously experienced protectionist periods, and some argue that those protectionist periods, like right after the, um, between sort of, sort of right after the Second World War, that some of its periods of greatest growth. That's also obviously related to the war making capacity at that time, the, sorry, the war industries and also other countries obviously being decimated. So it's not the best example, I admit. But, I don't think I think that what I'm driving at here is this idea of then there need to be a balance. Now we come from the United Kingdom, and ultimately, as an economy, we're less of a we're less of a balanced and diverse economy than we were in the past. Sure, we did have nationalised industries that were that were underperforming, but is it? I mean, is it good to completely scrap um, whole industries that we used to have, such as steel, for example? Or oh, what do you think about coal then? Well, I mean, I don't want to get into coal because then we're going to get into like global warming questions. So I'll just leave. I coal. wasn't speaking about coal in the I global know. warming sense. I mean, in terms of scrapping industries. Well, I, I don't. It I, was well, inefficient. Okay, but is was the most efficient? We was have the kept most, was the, are the coal telling, Are you telling me there was no kernel to protect jobs? Were you telling me there's no kernel? Of, there was no. I was telling you what I'm saying is. If you go back to what I was saying about wealth, about mm. how you have related industries and then you have related sure, products, but that. Would we have discovered fracking, perhaps, if we hadn't got rid of coal so quickly? I mean, fracking comes from people who had knowledge of, of um, you know, mining in some respect, finding a new way to create an energy source. Fracking just appeared. In before, when people would talk about um, how much energy reserves we have left on the planet, they would talk about it, and uh, fracking was not something they considered because it wasn't something that was invented. Now, it has been invented. The energy resources of the world, in terms of fossil fuels, have been revised up. So we don't always know how much wealth we have. The ability to create new wealth um, is very important and is related to um, you know, industry knowledge and a, and a diverse economy. But I think it's quite easy. It, it's, it's very easy to sort of pick these, you know, one positive thing out of keeping this industry. We could have, you know, if we carried on mining coal, we could have discovered fracking before, which would have been fantastic for everyone. And, there were no, and, that, and that would have mitigated all of the other problems of the coal industry. That just wouldn't have happened. There is a reason why industries are inefficient. There's a reason why countries move on from inefficient industries. And I personally am not of the belief that, that, that any of these secondary industries that are made from these primary industries, let's say, yeah. 
will mitigate all of the ills of the primary industry, which is inefficient. Do you have an example of that? Has that actually happened anywhere? Well, I mean, it's you're pinning me down to like a very specific thing, but I'm, I'm, but we can look by analogy at countries like Germany and Switzerland, which do have these more diverse economies and have more of a vocational, um, you know, culture, and the per capita wealth of the people is very high, and they perform and they're very productive. And we are a country that's had its productivity revised down. We're more in services. We're now looking at a situation where, you know. What, what will happen potentially to financial services? How profitable they'll be going to be in the next decade or so? Is Germany's GDP significantly higher than the UK's? Is it even I be, higher? I believe it is. I believe, well, Germany, Germany is like the engine of the whole European Union. I, I don't think there's much of a difference between the GDP of the UK and of Germany. I'm talk, I am talking on a per capita basis. Well, though. GDP per capita. It's definitely higher. It's but definitely, we're it's, talking Germany like and percentage Germany points. and Switzerland We're talking like percentage points here. But don't you okay? But let, let me let me come at a different angle. Like point ones. Okay, but so so but so what you're arguing is that um, my argument is is your argument about mixed economies and comparing. I think it's better to compare Germany and Switzerland. Actually, take Switzerland out of it completely. It's better to compare Germany and the United Kingdom. First of all, they're countries that are a similar size okay. and population. Fair enough. Etc. Switzerland. It's I don't. It's not really a good comparison in my opinion. Okay. I'm not sure how mixed their economy is either. Germany, yes, it is a more mixed economy than the than the UK. Yeah, but I but but Germany's GDP is not significantly higher than the UK's. We're not talking about the difference between Nigeria and the UK here, are we? We're talking about maybe the difference between Chelsea and Hounslow. Okay, but if we're in a position now where we're going to be signing free trade deals for the for the first time if we're going to be um, charting our own course do you not think it would be prudent to sort of aim for okay if we can diversify our economy and sign good trade deals shouldn't we do that if we just come into it with this idea that free trade is um, is always going to be good it's it's never going to be bad to just um, lower the costs uh, for consumers no matter what even if it means a whole industry is is severely uh severely affected um, then I think that would be a mistake now just because we can't just because you know the difference between Britain and Germany might not be the same as the difference between um, Britain and Papua New Guinea doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to have as, as diverse an economy as possible I think that's a legitimately beneficial goal for the people because it's going to mean more wealth to be spread through the country and also we do have these parts of the country that do feel left behind because there's not industry like there was. And I think that those people voted, um, you know, I think that was a big factor in the, uh, in the Brexit vote. And so I think it's, you know, I, th- I, don't think, I don't think it would be, I think it would be prudent to take, try and take those concerns on board. And I think it would be prudent to try and take those concerns on board. But I think there are better ways to take the concerns of the Midland and Brexit vote on board than trying to recreate industries which just don't exist in the UK anymore. Um, you know, how are we going to bring the car industry back in the West Midlands? We, we, you know, arguably, you know, the car industry that has grown in the United Kingdom in the last 40 years has been, in a, has been as a result of being in the European Union. So I think these arguments, as in the, as in the, as in the you know, referendum debate, they don't really match up. The argument for Brexit, in my opinion, the argument, if there were, the argument for Brexit, in my opinion, being a positive thing for the country, 
is the free trade argument and it will be able to sign new trade deals and things will be cheaper for people in the UK. That is the only positive argument of leaving the European Union. Leaving the European Union is not going to bring back the car industry. But Albie, it's we not. do. We, well, this, you, the car industry, you know, it is a significant amount of our exports are cars. Um, we do have industrial like ability as a country. We used to produce, I mean, all this like the majority of the steel in the whole world. Like, I mean, it's you know, I know that we might the car industry might have you know had periods of, of being less successful than it is right now. But our capacity to create things and be industrial, you know, perhaps we're never going to go back to that. But that was the almost the entire economy for a period of time. And it's not, I mean, it's, and, and we've, you know, we've gone very far away from that now, but have we lost more than we've gained in that process? And I think if we consider diversity of economy and what that, what, and how that creates wealth, I think we might have, 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 have lost something quite, quite serious there. And I think people feel an emotional connection to that. And perhaps it's not just an economic argument, perhaps there's an emotional element to it, but I think people like to feel like their country produces things. And makes things, and I think if there's an opportunity to foster that, even just a small bit, I don't think that that is something that we have to just completely discard because free trade, I, I which disagree. is a hypothetical. Actually, I disagree completely that a country that makes products which are useless for people is going to give their people a sense but if of morale. Use, if they're useless, just, they're just, not going to produce just, wealth. Just, just because, it? just because you know, by virtue of them creating something, that's going to bring them happiness. That's not true. What makes people Happy, that's a hard thing to quantify, but what makes people feel proud of their country and, and you know, have an easier life is if they have a job which pays well, which, which, which supports them, which allows them to eat and live a comfortable life. And the simple fact of the matter is, protectionist policies might provide those jobs in the very short term, but in the very long term, it's damaging for the economy, which means it's damaging for those individuals that want to have an easier life. Which means, I agree that we should be diversifying our economy but not by trying to produce manufactured goods, which, let's face it, other countries are simply better at and better placed to do. But other countries retained their national industries um, in the face of free trade. Countries like France, uh, for example, still have a more diverse economy than we do. They still make plenty of cars and the people buy them. Um, and we decided that that wasn't something that we were going to do. But now we don't have... Uh, you know, we, now we don't have as many industries where new products might be created, where new wealth might be created. Um, and I think if there's an opportunity to bring some of that back, I don't think it would be uh, a waste of time at all. I'm actually going to disagree with you there again. I mean, the idea that, that, that there's been no new products out of the UK. London, the UK is like the number one place in the world for fintech, for example. That has come from, you know, a heavy specialisation in finance. You know, this, this specialisation in professional services has led to innovation. It has led to new products being created. It's, you know, it's what is going to power our economy in the future. We should not be looking at things like car manufacturing. You know, you mentioned making cloth before. How far, oh, that was, how that far, was a hypothetical how, example. How far back, Mike, do you want to go in, in Britain's industrial past? You know, do you want us to be, you know... But why? But why is it? But why is it? But why is it that we're a country that develops uh, fintech and develops particular uh, technologies and financial services? Because we have a mature and established industry that was well supported. It's also an efficient industry which works well for us. Which works well the fact that we've got a highly educated population. 
that moves around easily, that wants to study, has the, fin- the, the financial and professional services sector in the UK has taken advantage of the UK's comparative advantages. Germany's car industry did the same in Germany. You know, France's would have done the same there. The fact of the matter is, we didn't have the comparative advantage to have a, 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 bloomy, a, a booming manufacturing industry, so we lost it. And we diversified maybe more into financial services. And now we are where we are with lots of other countries wanting to mimic what we've done in financial services. I think it would be better to have a country like Britain's economy really prosper on the most productive parts of, you know, parts of production, i.e. services, than try and go back to manufacturing. But you are limiting yourself uh, to, to fewer industries. And I think that I... That but your whole argument was, is that if you focus on one industry, no, 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 new I, products and new industries no, my, will be no, created. No, no, no. My argument so, was diversity of the economy. So that doesn't... That was, no way could that have meant just one industry. No, but I you're used, saying you, want, you, you, want, you want to protect something. You use one as an example. Well, you have to build... So that you create new industries from You have to build from something, obviously. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, if we were to just... Uh, I mean, I think... David Davis, a lot of his rhetoric, and, and of course the government's policy is not just uh, based on financial services, but a lot of the rhetoric is like some kind of common services policy whereby maybe it's easier for people conducting financial services in this country to conduct financial services in other countries where they couldn't previously do so before. I think he puts a lot of store by that. I'm not sure why other countries would go for that. If he gets it, it would be great because it's an industry we're very good at. It's something that I think we're particularly good at and, and therefore we would do well and we would compete well. However, if we had a, one or two other industries, perhaps it wouldn't be so necessary to his strategy. Perhaps if there were one or two other things that we did particularly well, as opposed to just refining petroleum, which is, which for what I gather is, is, is one of our main exports, who knew, um, then, then I think we would have more economic independence in the world. And I think more people in the country would be employed. And I think perhaps there would be greater wealth, as there is in Switzerland, as there is in Germany. Okay. Well, I mean, unemployment figures are at their lowest since the 1970s. So I think it's difficult to imagine how more people could be employed. Maybe in higher paying jobs. I don't know what your sort of what your thought was behind <laughs> that comment, Mike. Well, but, I don't. I don't but, know if I necessarily. But, but I guess. But I guess what you're things. saying is, is that if we had a more diverse economy, we'd have more cards to play in the Brexit negotiations. Well, you could argue the other side. If we are the best country at finance in the world why on earth would the eu want to make it harder to trade with us when 1.1 trillion euros of eu debt is underwritten in london as opposed to in other eu centers or in other financial centers around the world it is because we are so good at finance that we might have such a strong hand if we were mediocre at five different industries who wants to trade with that they want the best person at it they want the best people at it that's what competition and capitalism is all about. The best of the best. You can't just be mediocre at a couple of things and hope to get by. Which is what the UK would have been and would be had we adopted a more protectionist, um, protectionist stance. The fact of the matter is other countries in Europe and across the world were better at making cars. If we look, for example... Oh, how is a Renault a better car than if we look, A glorious Rover. If we look at the US... And uh, the Nick Four back in the 1990s. Okay, you, if we look at cars in particular, you had you had your Fords, your Harley Davidsons, all of that in the U.S. 
making these cars, not really that much innovation for a while. Then all of a sudden, the Nick Fools start coming up with all of these Hyundai cars, Toyota, they all start to kick off. That forces innovation on the Americans to start making cars better. And what happens? Cars get better for everyone. And that only happened because of free trade. Yes, but also lots of people in America saw industries relocating to places like China and they no longer had a source of income and their lives comparatively to their parents' generations got worse. But then, if we're talking about the car industry, then the US car industry adopted some of the things that the, the, the Nick Ford car industry had innovated and then created more jobs and more industry for everyone. And that happened because of free trade. If you just let something inefficient well, but GM, but GM, carry on but going with a, no competition... But Obama bailed out GM. Not, that's basically life protectionism. Bailed out the industry. If it hadn't been for the bailout, then they, that might have folded and all those people would have completely lost their jobs. And the competition would have been... Uh, you know, you could have laid it at that feet that had killed the car industry. But anyway, I think I think we should agree to disagree because I'm aware, I'm aware, I'm aware of the time. time. Um, so what else have you... Uh, has caught your attention this week? Uh... This week, well, I think the Brexit transition deal is probably the thing that's caught my attention the most. Mm. And also, I'm always shocked at how much attention the common fisheries policy gets with the European <laughs> Union. I mean, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that fishing accounts for a very, very tiny percentage of the UK economy. Well, it does now. And employs something like, a, well, a, a very minuscule amount of people in the country. And yet it receives all of this, all of this attention. Don't you think it's quite galling, though, to think that British boats were scrapped on the basis of these quotas and that grants were given to European countries to build boats and would then come to ship in UK waters because our particular quota was like one percentage of our own territorial waters and boats from Spain and other places would come and fish here. So it's not that there isn't a fishing industry, it's just that it's been spread between all these other countries. I mean, why shouldn't we be able to fish our own water? It's next to our island. It doesn't really make that. It doesn't seem to make sense. And they throw, and they say they throw that like half their fish away because they're only allowed to catch a certain amounts. So they can't sell it if they take it back because there's a dead fish everywhere. But I guess my point isn't that that wasn't you just bad. Mean it's a small industry because plainly it was. It's a it's a small industry, and I never understand why it gets so much attention. I think the narrative of it people find quite galling. You know, like that 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 was the case that like. That British boats were scrapped while grants were given to build other boats. It's kind of like a sort of, if you're like a gung ho Brexiteer, it's like sort of a, epitomizes everything mm-hmm. that's wrong. Similar to like when France just let all that was it let all that food just like sit in, in France. Yeah. I can't I can't remember quite what the reason behind yeah. that was, but it just seems like it was something to the quotas again. Just like bureaucracy, uh, I think that's why. Um, I do I do like yeah. I, as I've said already, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with the fisheries policy. I do think it would be good to get our waters back. And ultimately, if we get them back long term, get them back in 2018 or get them back in 2020, what really is the difference in the long run? You know. Um, so would you advocate for fishing to become one of our main industries? I think, you know, the We've amount of... the best in the world like at fishing. Soon fish tech will take fish over. Fish tech. <laughs> fish tech is going to be the new thing. It's going to happen in Hull. Yeah, and then we'll finally find the Loch Ness Monster. We will. With our new fish tech. With our new fish tech, um, which is going to diversify our economy and we can protect it. Okay. Because everyone's going to want the new fish tech. Okay, I feel, I feel like you're going into sarcasm overload, so it might what be What are time. you talking about? <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic at all. 
we've got to build a fish tech industry it's, and then protect it because everyone will want to buy I it. I thought that's what you meant by fintech earlier was was fins or fish tech. It was fins of fish. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we'll leave it there for next week. So I think next week we'll, we might do something on this Cambridge Analytic stuff because they just did a raid today. They did. Um, but don't but don't hold us to that. And uh, we'll see you next week. Don't forget to invest in fish tech.